And I, when, when we first started this, I, I gave the series a title. And I, I called this series really a question, what is worship? And at that point, I told you that we're going to go for, you know, 10, 11, maybe 12 weeks. We're going to go for a while. And I'm not actually going to answer that question for you until the very end. But I, I hope that you've been noticing certain ideas and certain concepts and certain things that are coming out of this study of the book of Psalms. Now, as you recall, there are 150 Psalms and we are not going through all of them. Because one of my other goals was not to exposit everything that's in here, but to encourage in you a love for the Psalms and an understanding that the Psalms are really man's reactions to what God does. But these are different than most of the reactions that we see. So often we see reactions that are ungodly and unbiblical and not right or accurate. And sometimes we, we even ourselves, will have reactions of questions and, and not sure, and how, how is this supposed to work? And one of the beauties of the Psalms is that it helps us to understand how should we react to different things that go on. And so we started off, you'll, you'll recall, real quick uh, review. We started off at what ver- psalm? Psalm 1. We started off at the beginning. That's a good place to start. And we, we understood that there are really two people, two kinds of people. Those who trust God and those who don't. Those who are, are following him and those who aren't. And, and we saw then the next week that there's a basis for that difference. And that basis, we, we looked at Psalm 119, which is the longest book or the longest chapter in the Psalms. That difference is really how do we deal with the word of God? what God says with the Bible. Do we, do we respond favorably to it or do we ignore it? Do we treasure it like that diamond that I used as, a, as an example? Do we you know, look deeply into it, study its beauty, un- seek to understand it, or do we just kind of keep going our own way? Well, that's the distinction between these two men, these two types of people that we saw back in chapter 1. Well, after that, we went to Psalm 117, and we started in on the genres that are in the Psalms. Now, obviously, I've said it before, I'll say it again, genres are just kind of, you know, they're, they're ways that we classify. It's for our understanding, the Psalms themselves are not set up that way. That's not how we interpret them. That's not how we um, deal with the, the theological significance in each one. That's just our way of categorizing them and making sure that we understand what's going on. So we, we started off with Psalms that are hymns of praise. And oftentimes that's, that's an overriding principle in all of the Psalms is just praising God, praising him for who he is, praising him for what he's done, praising him for different ways and different reasons. But then last week, we looked at something that's a little more challenging. We looked at this idea of laments. Now, let me ask you, serious question, honest, honest answer. How many of you complained about something this week? Okay. Now, you don't have to raise your hand on this one, but how many of you complained about something and took it to God and said, you know what, God, I'm not real happy about this, but I trust you. I don't like this, but I'm going to rely on you. I don't understand this, but I know that you do. And that really was the goal when we look at this, this idea of laments. Difficult things happen. Challenging things happen. But what do we do with that? We should take our sorrows to God and turn them over to him. Now, this week, 
is probably a little easier for most of us, and yet probably also one that we do a little bit less. If, if you took something to God, a, a complaint, a concern, a sorrow, whatever it was, and you gave it to him, wonderful. That's, that's what we ought to do. But how many of you then, after that was cleared up, after something difficult, God took care of it, how many of you went back to him and said, thank you? How many of you have ever asked God for something and then turned around when he gave an answer, whether it was the answer you wanted or not, and said, thank you? I know for me, not as often as it should be. We're going to be looking at this idea of thanksgiving. And it's really easy to lament. It's really easy to take things to God. But unfortunately, a lot of times after that, we don't go back to him and say thank you for the answer. Now, we are going to be in Psalm chapter 18. But before we go to that, I wanted to take a a look at a couple of verses real quick in the New Testament that also deal with this idea recognizing that this is not just a suggestion or a good idea or something that, you know, maybe, maybe it would be nice to do, that we would be encouraged to do, but we're actually commanded to give thanks. And, and not just to give thanks, like you know, most of the time when I think of Thanksgiving, I think of a holiday in the fall where you have this super abundance of wonderful, tasty food, right? That's easy to be thankful for lots and lots of food. But when we look at these passages in the New Testament, we're going to find that's not the only time we're supposed to give thanks. So if you would, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 5 real quick. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20, it says, Always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. A couple of pages over. We come to Colossians, and in Colossians chapter 3, verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell in you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, in all, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks through him to God the Father. In uh, chapter 4, verse 2, it says, Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. And then one more in First Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. <clears throat> Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I know I I sped through those. If you were here for Sunday school, we actually looked at several of those already this morning. Uh, Jim and I did not coordinate that or plan it. And, you know, sometimes I think that that works out so that it reinforces an idea in us. And uh, some of those those verses we already looked at this morning, and I'm not wanting to, to exposit those and dig everything that we can out of them, but I think you get the idea, even in the New Testament, there's this, this concept of be thankful always, in all things, constantly. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you 
in Christ Jesus. We're going to be going back to Psalm 18. And in the context, we find out that David is going through some difficult things. He has, he has dealt with a lot of challenges and a lot of things that probably were not enjoyable. And yet, when that was over, he was able to give thanks to God. We're going we're gonna to dig into how and why and what, what some of those ways and some of those reasons were that he gave thanks. So if you would, let's turn back to Psalm chapter 18. And as I like to do, we're going to read the whole thing. I know that this is another of the, the little bit longer ones, so it is, it is a longer passage, but I would encourage you to follow along with me as I read it. Uh, we're going to read all 50 verses, and then we're going to do what we can to go through all of it um, and hopefully hit all of the, the points that are inside this psalm. But starting off in verse 1 of Psalm 18. Now, depending on how your, your Bible is set up, the, the top of that, it's going to say, For the choir director, a psalm of David, a servant of the Lord. And it's going to continue some of the, the context. A lot of people view those as titles. That's part of, depending on, like I said, how your Bible is set up, that's part of verse 1. Um, there are some Bibles that will actually separate that out as verse number 1. And then verse 2 is what we normally see as verse 1. So I'm going to read all of it just for your awareness. But that title is part of the psalm of what we're going to be looking at. So it says, For the choir director, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who spoke to the Lord the words of this song in the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. And he said, I love thee, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord, who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from mine enemies. The cords of death encompass me. The torrents of ungodliness terrify me. The cords of Sheol surrounded me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. I cried to my God for help. He heard my voice out of his temple, and my cry for help before him came into his ears. Then the earth shook and quaked, and the foundations of the mountains were trembling and were shaken because he was angry. Smoke went up out of his nostrils, fire from his mouth devoured. Coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens also and came down with thick darkness under his feet. And he rode upon a cherub and flew, and he sped upon the wings of the wind he made darkness his hiding place, his canopy around him, darkness of waters, thick clouds of the skies. From the brightness before him passed his thick clouds, hailstones and coals of fire. The Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the Most High uttered his voice, hailstones and coals of fire. And he sent out his arrows and scattered them, and lightning flashes in abundance and routed them. Then the channels of water appeared, and the foundations of the world were laid bare at thy rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of thy nostrils. He sent from on high, he took me, he drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy, and from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my stay. He brought me forth also into a broad place. He rescued me. Because he delighted in me, the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanliness of my hands, he has recompensed me. 
For I have kept the ways of the Lord, and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his ordinances were before me, and I did not put away his statutes from me. I was also blameless with him, and I kept myself from mine iniquity. Therefore the Lord has recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanliness cleanness of my hands in his eyes. With the kind thou dost show thyself kind. With the blameless, thou dost show thyself blameless. With the pure, thou dost show thyself pure. And with the crooked, thou dost show thyself astute. For thou dost save an afflicted people, but haughty eyes thou dost abase. For thou dost light my lamp, the Lord my God illumines my darkness. For by thee I can run upon a troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall. As for God, his way is blameless. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a shield to all who take refuge in him. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? The God who girds me with strength and makes my way blameless. He makes my feet like hinds feet and sets me upon my high places. He trains my hands for battle so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. Thou hast also given me the shield of thy salvation. And thy right hand upholds me and thy gentleness makes me great. Thou dost enlarge my steps under me, and my feet have not slipped. I pursued my enemies and overtook them, and I did not turn back until they were consumed. I shattered them so that they were not able to rise. They fell under my feet, for thou hast girded me with strength for battle. Thou hast subdued under me those who rose up against me. Thou hast also made my enemies turn their backs to me. I destroyed those who hated me. They cried for help, but there was none to save, even to the Lord, but he did not answer them. Then I beat them fine as the dust before the wind. I emptied them out as the mire of the streets. Thou hast delivered me from the contentions of the people. Thou hast placed me as head of the nations. A people whom I have not known serve me. As soon as they hear, they obey me. Foreigners submit to me. Foreigners fade away. And come trembling out of their fortresses. The Lord lives, and blessed be my rock, and exalted be the God of my salvation, the God who executes vengeance for me, and subdues people under me. He delivers me from mine enemies. Surely thou dost lift me above those who rise up against me. Thou dost rescue me from the violent men. Therefore, I will give thanks to thee among the nations, O Lord. And I will sing praises to thy name. He gives deliverance to his king and shows loving kindness to his anointed, to David and his descendants forever. The psalm starts off, I love thee, O Lord. And initially I, I found that a little bit strange, a little bit different. It's not, um, it's not a normal way that these start off. But as I, as I started looking at that, where else in the Old Testament do we see this idea of love for God? Not just, you know, thank you, or I praise you, or you're, you're good, you're, you're holy, you're wonderful, any of those things, but an expression of love towards him. Well, Deuteronomy 6 kind of brings this one out. And so let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, real quickly. This is actually quoted by Christ when he's asked, okay, so what is, 
the greatest commandment? What is the most important commandment that comes up? And, and he quotes Deuteronomy 6, 5, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And here in a little bit, we're going to see that David, I, I think David is starting off by connecting himself with the law of God. We're going to see that come up again in a little bit. But he's starting off saying, hey, I've, I have obeyed the law. I have, I have connected myself with it. And in doing that, I express my love towards God as we begin digging into this passage. <clears throat> uh, notice he doesn't say, uh, I love the Lord, pointing out someone else. He says, I love you. He starts off by just talking to God. It's so easy for us to, to get going on things and, and just be, you know, kind of generic and, and out there. But David starts off by saying, I want to talk directly to God. And I want to express something to him. I, I love him. And this is, this is personal. We, we look at it as, as, you know, just scripture and something that we, we step back from and study and analyze and, and dig into. And that's great. And we're going to. But I want you to notice as we start, as we begin digging into it and, and breaking apart some of these words and looking at that, that what David is doing from the get-go, he's connecting himself with the commands that God has given and he's expressing this directly to God. Now, you'll notice that it gave us some context and if you looked at the, the pre-study guide that I gave, we actually connect this with another, uh, with a song that is recorded somewhere else. Did anybody look that up and, and identify where is this psalm also recorded in the Old Testament? In 2 Samuel chapter 22. And so this is used in two different places. Now, during the pre-study, I, I set those up and I showed that they're very similar. There's a lot of, of comparisons between them. There are a few differences as well. Um, in, in that handout, I tried to, to identify some of those differences are merely the way that we speak in English. They were, they were English translation differences. So they make no significance. They make no difference. Um, if you didn't get one of those comparisons... Uh, they are on the back table. I think Paul's got them. They're the blue sheets that just line those out side by side. And that's, that's really good to, to look at and consider the differences. Some of the differences, though, come up in the Hebrew, in the, the language that David was expressing. And so I think that it is important to, to start off by, okay, what's going on? Why, why is that happening? What's, what's the reason for those distinctions and those differences? Um, <clears throat> For one thing, we've got what's happening in 2 Samuel, um, the context in which he writes this. Now, in Psalm, it, it expresses to us a Psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who spoke to the Lord the words of the song in the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. So this, this song, song and psalm came about as a result of David being saved from enemies, from battle, from challenges even from the previous king, who, as you recall, in Samuel, he tried to kill him on multiple occasions. He chased him all across the countryside on multiple occasions. All kinds of challenges and difficulties. And so there's, there is a little bit of argument, okay, when exactly in the life of David did he write this as it's recorded in Second Samuel? But 
as he goes through all of these things, we see over and over and over again, David expresses his, his praise to God and his love for God and his desire for God. And so this one actually comes at the end of his life, nearing the, the end of his life. Second so, uh, Samuel 22 is almost at the end. Right after that, we have a record of some of his mighty men, two or three episodes of things that happen, and then David dies. He passes the, the kingdom off to his son, and he's out of the picture. So this is kind of a concluding song that he has at the end of his life in Second Samuel. Now, why would there be differences between Second Samuel and Psalms? I think that that's actually a pretty simple question. Some of the things that I read, some of the things that I looked at, there's a lot of argument about it, and I'm like, it, it's really easy. In Second Samuel, David is just expressing this. He just says to God and talks directly to him, and it's his own expression to him. When we get to the Psalms, he has written this down, and he has delivered it to the choir director for the purpose of the people of Israel to be able to praise God corporately. So the difference that we end up running into, many of them are from David personally to David expressing this for the corporate gathering of worship of God. And so... Let's go back to Psalm chapter 18. I love thee, O Lord, my strength, my Lord, my God, etc. It's not only that David is expressing this love and desire to God. He's also encouraging the people of Israel to have that same love, that same desire. He's bringing them back to Deuteronomy and saying, hey, this is how it starts. And so when we, when we start on this question of what is worship that we've been dealing with, we find it, it starts by having that relationship with him. We've got to go back to that, and we've got to start from the right place of a love for God and an a interaction with him. So all of that is, is kind of lead-up background. I, I think it's fascinating that this is recorded twice, that we see the two differences and that, that we can compare and contrast and look into them and dig into them. And I, I encourage the, the ladies' Bible study and some of the others to, to really examine those and look at some of those differences. I don't want to take a ton of time and examine the details of those, but it is worthy of, of study and of looking at. Instead, I want to move forward in Psalm, 118, or Psalm 18, starting off in verse 1. He does say, I love thee, O Lord. Now, last week we talked about, I think it was last week, we talked about that word. When it's translated in English as a capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that is the name of God. And so it's not that he's saying, I love a master. I love someone who is in charge, which is how we normally think of Lord. No, he's specifically saying, I love you, Yahweh. I love you, God. And, and in previous weeks, we've dug into that. That is the name of God. And he specifies and, and expl- explicitly states, this is who he is. There is no one like him. There is none other. So it's not just generic God or some deity that's out there. David and the, the singers of this psalm are specifically expressing a love for Yahweh for God, the God of the Bible, the God of the Old Testament, the God who brought them out of Israel, the God who has done all of these miracles in the lives of the Israelites, the God who, well, the God who does what we're about to see as we go through this. Now, in the, the first two verses, David actually expresses 
nine different ways in which he defines or explains who God is to him. After proclaiming his love for God, we have these nine different descriptors. And, and I think that it's worthwhile to pause and dig into these and look at, okay, what is it that David is saying about God? Because we're going to get into his, his giving of thanks. We're going to get into the spe- specific situations that pa- David's been dealing with and all of the challenges and all of the stuff that's been going on. But he starts off by laying a foundation, by setting this up, and he, he expresses certain things about who God is. He says, I love thee, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. So what are these things? Well, number one, it says, he is my strength. It's a, the, the idea there is a strong arm, one who is able, one who is capable one who has strength and ability himself. David doesn't rely on his own strength. He recognizes that his strength comes from God. The second one is my rock. Now, if, if you read it and were paying attention, you'll notice that there are two different words that it says, he is my rock, right? In two different places, twice. Well, there are two different words that are used for rock. This one refers to a crag or a cliff. Um, it's used of where animals live, so like a mountainside. It's, it's a craggy area, a rocky fortress type of an idea, a place that could be uh, up above where you couldn't be approached, you couldn't be attacked as easily. That's the idea that he's expressing with this type of rock. We're not talking about a, a small rock or a boulder or something of that nature. That's actually the other one. We'll get to that. But he's referring to a, a crag or a cliff face. And he says that God is that kind of rock. And then this one is connected with, um, it says, the Lord is my rock and my fortress. So it, it connects these two, my fortress. Well, what is, what is a fortress? You tell me. A, a place of protection, a castle, a defensible area. And so David here is saying that God, Yahweh, is my strength. He's the ability that I don't have. He is my safe place. He is a, a rock, a defensible location, a fortress, even to the point of a castle that is defensible. You know, we, we think of medieval times and, and the uh, rock um, enclosures and the big walls and, and the defensible place, but a lot, oftentimes those were even set up on top of a mountain type of an idea. So that's, that's what we're, we're picturing here as we go through his description. It's, it's very artistic description of a safe location that David can rely on, that he can hide out in and be protected in time of battle, in time of, of difficulty. The next one, it says, my shield. Well, this is the, the idea of a, a buckler or a um, defensible item. Did I get these backwards? Oh, I skipped a verse. I'm sorry. Uh, the Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer. So what is, a, what is a deliverer? Okay, a savior. Someone who carries me to safety. Now, you'll remember he just said he's my strength, a strong right arm type of an idea, who is also capable of carrying me to safety. So here's my strength, my rock, my fortress, 
my deliverer, my God. This one is that word. It's, it's oftentimes used as a generic Elohim, any God. But you'll notice he's specifying. He's already said Yahweh, which is a specific individual, a person, a being, God himself. He is my God. And here he makes a, makes a very specific claim. He's connecting himself with Yahweh. And he's saying, I'm not trusting those others. This is my God, my Elohim, the one that I align with. Not, not Baal, not um, Moloch, not any of the others that come up throughout the Old Testament. But instead, Yahweh is my God. My rock. This is that second use of the, the word in English of rock. This one is more like a boulder. Somewhere that I take refuge, I can hide behind. Um, it's a generic rock, whereas the other was a cliff face. Then we get to shield. Uh, here's my shield, a, a buckler, a piece of armor, a defensive item. Then he is the horn of my salvation. Now, when, when you hear that, what do you think of with horn of salvation? Anybody? Any ideas? Okay, it was, it, I, I was a little bit like, okay, what, what does this mean? What is he expressing here? What, what kind of thing? And, and yeah, ram's horn is the idea. It's, it's an animal's horn is the, the idea. And again, he's, he's poetically, he's artistically expressing an idea of the strength and the, the defensive posturing that an animal, you, you think of an animal that has horns, what do they use those for? Well, he grew up around sheep a lot, right? You remember this. And so this is a, a picture or an idea that in that society, in that culture, is very, very normal. They're used to seeing animals with horns, and what do they do with those horns? Well, we don't necessarily see that as much today, but you start thinking about, okay, what are the horns of these things, and then specifically my horn of salvation? Well, animals use their horns for protection, for defense, to take care of themselves and to take care of others, to run off wild animals to defeat the beasts of the fields and things of that nature. I think that that's the, the picture that he's creating here. God is that strong defender that provides for me salvation, a, a, a saving, a protection, a deliverance from these situations. And we're going to get into the specific situations that he's dealing with. So God is my horn of, or the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. This is a tower a defensible area, a, a uh, strong place, a place to retreat to. So, what stands out to you about all of these? As we, as we go through this list that he starts off with, he's making these claims about who God is. What stands out to you about that? Protection. Okay. He expresses his love towards God, but God's love back to him. Anything else? That's a big one right there. David is clearly saying, I, I can't defend myself. I can't protect myself. I can't fight my own battles. That's really what it comes down to. Now, recognize David has spent his life in war and conflict and battles and all kinds of fights and, and things that have gone on. Um, <clears throat> and so he uses those as a way to express he uses them as examples, as a way to express who God is to him, what God has done to, for him. 
this, this idea of protection and stronghold, fortified area, a fortress, all of those hearken back to that military concept and that military idea that David is expressing because that's what he's lived. That's what he's dealt with. And this psalm comes after God has protected him. God has defended him. God has given him victory over all of his enemies, even over Saul. And like I said, the many times that that Saul came after him and tried to kill him and attacked him, and yet through all of that, God protected him. God defended him. And so David is writing this to express gratitude, to express thankfulness that I'm sure as he went through all of that stuff, he was not happy. He did not enjoy it. And we see many other Psalms that, that David writes expressing those, those questions and those concerns and all of that stuff. But now that God has protected him, God has defended him, God has established him, David's going back and he's saying, thank you. Thank you. I praise you because I recognize it's not my strength. It's not my ability that got us through all of this. It's you. It's you that I rely on to be able to do these things. We get down to, to verse 3. He says, I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. <clears throat> um, if you go to the next slide, Elsha, I've got this psalm kind of broken down into various sections. Now, a lot of different people could, could probably divide it up a little bit differently if they wanted to. I, I'll acknowledge that. Um, but this is, is kind of a breakdown of the psalm as we dig into it. We start off with the foundation. And he, and he establishes this foundation of who God is and what God has done. Not his own ability, but God's ability that gives the basis for this. And then he goes into this idea that he calls. I call out. He cries out to God, who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. And then he paints this very bleak picture. You read verses 4 through 6, The cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of ungodliness terrified me. The cords of Sheol surrounded me. I mean, this does not sound like a happy place to be in. This is, this is terror. This is scary and uncomfortable and not pleasant. It's very, very bleak. In my distress, I crawl, called out, or I, I called upon the Lord and cried to my God for help. Pause. How many of you have ever been in a difficult situation? A, a time in which maybe even to the point that you said, you know what, this, this may kill me. I, I may not survive this. Now, thankfully, most of the time in the United States, we don't experience lots of those. David went through that multiple times. Several times his life was in danger. He was, he was chased out of the country on multiple occasions. He experienced all of these different things, most of which we haven't. And yet, I saw mo- many of you nodding your heads like, yeah, I've, I've been through some of that tough stuff, some of that where I didn't know if I was going to get out of it. Well, did we, in our distress, call out upon the Lord? Something to think about. But what does he say? He did. David did. He says, I, in my distress, I called upon the Lord. I cried to my God for help. Next word. He heard me. He heard my voice out of his temple and my cry for help before him came into his ears. In Sunday school, we, we talked about this idea of heard. And uh, we, we dug in just a little bit to this. This is a Hebrew word. It means Shema. It's, it's to listen, but not this idea of in one ear and out the other. 
parents sometimes think their kids hear that way, right? They'll hear it, but they don't do anything. You told them to pick up their toys, and they even might have looked at you and nodded and then didn't pick up. That's not the idea of heard that we're talking about here. This idea is he heard and took action based on that request. That that David had called out to him in his distress, in this, this terrible, bleak, difficult situation that he's dealing with. He cries out to God, and God heard him. He heard my voice out of his temple. My cry for help before him came into his ears. And then the next section, he, he hears, but what does he do? And this, this is a very poetic, very um, beautiful picture. Now, I don't think that... Uh, God actually shakes the foundations of the earth or of the mountains it is specifically what he's saying. I'm not, I don't think that David's expressing this as a literal way in which God answered. But what did God do to protect David? You, you think back over what happened in David's life and how many times did God do things that really weren't normal, really weren't natural, really, I mean, you start looking at it Let's, let's go to the first battle that we really have recorded in which David takes part. You guys remember David and Goliath, right? Who should have won that? What would have been normal? What would have made sense in a battle between a, a battle-hardened master of arms who has trained his entire life and some little shepherd boy? Who should win? Goliath. It makes sense, right? I, I, so many times in the life of David, we see examples after example after example of that. And I, I, I think as we dig into this and we, we look through this poetic expression that David's saying, he's, he's not being literal that God hopped onto a cherub and flew across the, the heavens, but he's giving us a picture of like God did all of this stuff massive, unexpected, beyond what's normal, beyond the norm of, of what I could, could think would be normal uh, or reasonable. And yet he did it. It says, then the earth shook and quaked. The foundations of the mountains were trembling. They were shaken because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils. I mean, we're, we're getting a picture of like this roaring fire. He's coming out. Have you ever seen uh, the mama bear idea? When, when baby bear's in danger, what does mama bear do? That It gets intense. That's the kind of picture that David's creating here. This gets intense, that, that God is breathing out fire. No, I don't think literally that there was smoke coming out of his nostrils. That's not the idea that he's, he's pointing here. But he does all of this stuff to defend David, to protect David, to come to his aid because David called out to him. So often we, we think of our prayers as just something that we say and, and you know, well, we were talking about it even in Sunday school this morning, asking without faith, asking without expectation that God would actually do anything. That doesn't make sense. It doesn't work. See, the God that was described previously, my God, my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my, my defense, my refuge, my shield, all of that, he is, he is capable he is able to respond. And David called out to him, knowing that he was capable and able to respond. And here, he's listing out this, these ways, this beautiful picture of, it wasn't just a, oh, yep, yep, I hear you. Okay, I'll, I'll take care of it. 
But God goes into action and he responds and he deals with it. And it's, it's lightning and thunder and power. He sends hailstones. He sends coals of fire. He sent out his arrows. He scatters the enemies. Like this is, this is a beautiful, intense, terrifying picture of God coming to his aid and defending him. Jumping down to verse 16, he sent from on high. He took me, he drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. David recognizes, as, as was already mentioned, that he doesn't have the power. He doesn't have the ability. He doesn't have the strength in himself. That's why he called out to God, because he recognized this. And God responds in a massive way and saves David, protects David, delivers him from these things, sets him in a, in a safe place. Verse 19, he brought me forth also into a broad place. He rescued me. Why? That's the the next section that we're going to get into is the reason that God did this wasn't because David was amazing and wonderful and powerful and God just wanted to, to come alongside him and be on his team. It says that he delighted in me. And then it goes on to describe in this, this next section of why he delighted. Why did, why did God pay attention to and do any of this stuff? See, David hasn't claimed his own fighting abilities. He hasn't claimed those of his mighty men, even though we have record of some of them and their amazing things. He doesn't rely on his own uh, abilities. He doesn't really, we're going to get into this next section, he doesn't really even say, I am worthy of this in and of myself. Why does God respond in this way? Because he delights in him. The basis for action, we start off in verse 20, and and he says, the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness. And I don't know about you, but I I start reading that, and my first thought, and, and maybe my mind doesn't always read scripture quite right the first time that I hit it, but my first thought is that David's saying, hey, I'm a good, upstanding citizen. I do the right things. I'm always good. I pay my taxes on time. I love Jesus, and I do... That's not the idea that's being conveyed here. Think about who David is. We, we remember, um, David's not perfect. David is actually like a lot of us. He had his ups and downs. He did some things really good and some things really bad. Uh, we have record of, of some of his sins. Uh, he's a lying, murdering, adulterous failure as a king. And yet, what does he do? What happens when David sins, when David fails? He re- Say it a little bit louder. He repents. He repented. He turned from that and he turns back to God. And so, as we go through this, keep that in mind, keep that idea. He's not making this claim that, oh, I am perfect in and of myself. Because you know, and he knew, he failed miserably at times. But when he did, he cried out to God. He called out to him. Now, another, another thing that we find um, in, the, in the Old Testament, you're going through and you come to Chronicles. In First Chronicles 22... 8, and then again in 28, 3, we find that, that David has this plan. 
He wants to build a temple for God. And God tells him no. Do you remember why God told him no? Because he's been a man of the sword. His hands are dirty. They're covered in blood. He's spent his entire life fighting. And so God says, no, you're not allowed to build the temple, but your son will. And because of that desire, see, David wasn't perfect. Neither are we. But David desired the Lord, desired to do what is right. He, he, when he failed, he turned back to, he repented and he called on God. We're actually going to see that come up as, as we get down. But he, he starts off, The Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands. Again, that kind of stood out to me because he wasn't allowed to build the temple because his hands weren't clean. According to the cleanness of my hands, he has recompensed me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. And I think that that's where we start getting into this, this key idea that he didn't depart, he didn't go away. Yes, he would mess up, yes, he would fail, and then he would come back. Uh, Verse 22, he says, I did not put away his statutes from me. Even when David failed, and he he did, we're not denying that, but even when he failed, David didn't just throw out the book and say, well, I I failed, I forget it, I'm not even going to try. He always kept the law of God before him. He kept that desire in front of him. We get down to uh, verse 25. So, so he goes through and he expresses that, that God has delighted in him, that because of his righteousness, because he, has been, he is clean, he is pure, that's why God does these things for him. We get down to verse 25, and we find out that it is God's character. It's who God is that results in this, that causes all of this. With the kind... Thou dost show thyself kind. Now this is that that same, it's connected with that word chesed that we looked at a couple of weeks ago, that loving kindness. So not just being nice, but actually going above and beyond. The, The ruler, the leader who has no requirement to take care of the slave or the servant, but does it anyway. It's that kind of loving kindness that's going on. So those who do that, God shows himself to do that as well. Those who are blameless, thou show thyself blameless. Those who are pure, or with, with the pure, thou dost show thyself pure. That, that idea of pure is upright, sound, complete, solid. Then the, the next one. Now, in all of those, it's saying the, the people who align themselves with you, who do the same thing as you, you do that. That's, that's who you are. This last one is, is a little bit of a twist. It's a little bit different. It says, with the crooked, thou dost show thyself astute. And, and it stood out because it's like, okay, all of these things are paralleling as we go through. The kind, you're kind. The, the pure, you're pure. The blameless, you're blameless. The crooked, you're, well, you're different. And, and you start digging into that, this idea of with the crooked, it's, it's the idea of twisted or messed up. You show yourself capable of handling twistedness. You show yourself understanding of those, um, you react to that in the right way. So it's not saying that, that it, it's making this distinction that God is not twisted or, or uh, crooked, but he handles those, and he handles them according to his nature. He handles them in the right way. It says, verse 27, For thou dost save an afflicted people, you deliver them. 
but haughty eyes thou dost abase, you humble them. For thou dost light my lamp, the Lord my God illumines my darkness. For by thee I can run upon a troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall. He, he starts off by expressing this idea that, that God delights in him because of his righteousness, because he aligns himself with God. And as we go through the, these expressions that he has of these different things, we find that, that it is the nature and the character of who God is that he does these things for those who are humble, for those who are afflicted, for those who are willing to follow him. God takes care of them and God deals with them. Not for those who, who stand up on their own and say, oh, well, I'm, I'm able, I can do it, I'm going to be the, the power and the mighty. No, it's, it's God does these according to his, his nature and according to his character. And so David throws himself on the mercy and the grace of God. He relies on God and not on his own abilities. As we get into the, the next section, uh, starting off in verse 30, David moves from this expression of what God has done and what's going on into just who God is. He's, he's aligned himself with God. He's saying, you know, it, it's not my abilities. It's because of, of God and who he is and what he's done. That's why God has done these things. As for God, his way is blameless. And, and we go into this, it just expresses who God is yet again. As, as he praises him, as he thanks him for his, what he's done, his protection, his, his deliverance, his salvation, we're finding out just more of who God is. As for God, his way is blameless. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a shield to all who take refuge in him. For who is God but the Lord? And that, that one, again, stood out to me because who is a deity, you look through the Old Testament and over and over and over again, the people of Israel, they leave God. They, they run away and they go after all these false gods and they call them deities. They call them gods. But who really is God? None but Yahweh. That's, that's what he's expressing. And who, who is a rock except our God? The God who girds me with strength and makes my way blameless. And I think that's where we, we really get this idea brought up David's not relying on his own uh, righteousness, his own abilities, his own goodness. Who is it that makes his way blameless? It's God. It's, it's God who purifies him and makes him right. He makes my feet like hind's feet. He sets me upon high places. Throughout all of this, David has not been making much of himself or of his mighty men or of those who defend or of, of any people. He's not making much of man at all. He's making much of God, of who God is. And he's recognizing that, that the deliverance, that the, the saving, that the, the protection that he's had, the ability to defeat his enemies, the ability to survive everything that has come after him is not his own ability. It's God himself that has done this, that has enabled this. It is God who girds me with strength, who makes me blameless. He makes my feet like hinds feet. He sets me upon high places. He trains my hands for battle. Even the ability that David had to fight all of these wars and battles that he went through, he's saying God is the one who trained his hands and gave him the ability to bend a bow of bronze, a strong, powerful, difficult thing. It's God who has even given him the ability to do those things. 
You've given me the shield of thy salvation, and thy right hand upholds me. Thy gentleness makes me great. Thou dost enlarge my steps under me, and my feet have not slipped. David, throughout all of this, just clearly proclaims it is God who has enabled him to do any of these things, to be able to survive at all. He's putting all the credit exactly where it needs to be. Not in himself, not in his mighty men, not on his own abilities. Even thinking back to that idea of David and Goliath, right after that, he's like, no, it's, it's not mighty men, it's not swords, it's not you know, Saul's armor that's going to see me through this battle. It's God himself. And it's only God himself that will make this possible. He goes on through 37 through 45, and he, he expresses that idea even more fully, that it is God who enables him to be able to do these things. And he, he declares certain things about how God has done that, why he's done that, etc. Let's jump down to verse 46. In 46, he, he kind of shifts to what I'm, I'm calling a doxology, or an expression of praise to God. He's gone through all of this, and, and as we understand who David is and the things that he's dealt with, we see time and time and time again when really he should have lost the battle. He should have lost the kingdom. He should have been thrown out. He, he could have multiple times. He runs all over the place because he's being attacked on the left and the right and, and all around. And yet God has preserved him through all of this. And that's what he is expressing is that it's not my ability, it's not my power, it's you and you alone that has seen me through all of this. And we get down to verse 46. The Lord lives. Massive distinction from all the other deities that people try and follow. God is a living God. The Lord lives and blessed be my rock. Exalted be the God of my salvation. The God who executes vengeance for me and subdues people under me. He delivers me from mine enemies. Surely thou dost lift me above those who rise up against me. Thou dost rescue me from the violent men. Here's the key verse, I think, that that we want to recognize and understand. Therefore. Now, David has used a lot of poetic language. He's used a lot of expressions and, and different things. And we, we haven't really, we barely scratched the surface on the ways that David describes these. But because of all of that, because of what has, God has done, and that's really what it boils down to, because of who God is and what he's done, because of that, I will give thanks to you among the nations. Now, if you, if you recall back to when we studied uh, Psalm 117, that really, really short, only two verses, it says, praise God, all nations. That's the same word. And it's not just, I mean, it, he's not saying, I'm going to be thankful and I'm going to praise God before the Israelites or before the Jews. This is the word that says the Gentiles too, everybody, all nations. Because of his thankfulness, God, uh, David wants to express who God is to everyone, everywhere. Therefore, because of what you have done, because of who you are, I will give thanks to you among all of the nations, O Lord, and I will sing praises to thy name. We get into this idea of thanksgiving. No matter what the difficulty, no matter what the challenge, no matter what the, the hard things that, that David faced or that we might face, Here's the takeaway. Here's the, the so what. God can see us through it. He's got the power. He's got the ability. He's got the strength. Who he is 
shows us, proves to us, dictates that he can handle whatever that situation is. We need to be like David and cry out to him. And God already knows the situation. He already knows what's going on. But we need to call out to him. Now, as David expressed, he didn't call out in his sinfulness and his dirtiness and his, his failure to be who God wanted him to be. It was when he aligned himself with God, that's when he expected an answer. But he knew God would answer. And God came through, and he took care of him, and he delivered him, and he saw him through this. But what does David do after that? See, we all deal with difficult things, difficult challenges, and, and hopefully we do call out to God, and we do express it to him. And hopefully we have aligned ourselves with God. We haven't gone our own way and doing our own thing. We're actually following who he is. But assuming that's the case, that we've called out to him, that we're where we ought to be, and God answers that. And as we looked at in the New Testament, sometimes it's the good things and sometimes it's the bad things. In all things, verse 49, therefore, because God answers, because of who God is and what he does, I will give thanks to thee among the nations, O Lord. I will sing praises to thy name. So what? We need to give thanks to God and let it be known to others that it's God who has done this, that it's his ability, not my own. It's his strength, not my own. It's his deliverance. It's his defense, not mine. I will give thanks to him among the nations so that they hear, and as a result, I will praise him. I will sing praises to thy name. Verse 50, and we'll close out. He gives great deliverance to his king and shows loving kindness to his anointed, to David and his descendants forever. In David's context, he's expressing that God does this for me because he has chosen me. He has selected me. He has anointed me. And God has followed through on his promises. And therefore, I give thanks to him. I praise him for who he is and for what he's done. We should also do the same because God has called us. He has selected us. If we are saved, he has delivered us. And we need to be thankful for him or thankful to him for who he is and for what he has done. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you. Thank you for who you are. Lord, as just those first two verses describe who you are to David, Lord, we can come up with those same ideas that you are our rock, our protector, our deliverance, our, our, strong, our strength and our strong arm, our ability at all. Lord, when we slow down and actually think about it, we don't have the ability in and of ourselves to do anything. And yet you do. So Lord, we, we lay ourselves before you. We ask that you guide us, that you deliver us. And Lord, we give you thanks for who you are and what you do. Help us to do that readily and constantly because you are worthy of praise. You are worthy of us giving thanks to you because it is through you that we can be saved. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.